0: Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We consider it an honor to host you. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or on Instagram. Now let's get ready for the message. And Anybody thankful for the presence of God in this place today? Amen. Wonderful. Good morning to those of you that are in-house and to those that are tuning in online. We're so honored that you are with us and worshiping with us. I believe that God has a word for us today. I'm excited about the series that we kicked off last Sunday entitled Monarchy. Um, last week, I gave you the definition of monarchy. It means supreme power and sovereignty held by a single person. Um, And we know that single person that has supreme power and sovereignty, that is Jesus, right? Um, And we know that Jesus, his mission and his message was the kingdom of God, that he is establishing his kingdom in the earth. It's why he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Last week in that message, we talked about, it was week one, so we're not very far into the series, if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it or watch it, uh, because we laid a lot of foundation in that, and we talked about establishing a new order. Um, And we learned um, that Jesus and Adam, we we connected them, because when Adam was created and placed in the garden, he had authority. Uh, He ruled his world with his words. Um, The same way that God rules heaven, Adam was ruling the earth. Um, We know that Adam lost that authority, um, the the glory that he had been crowned with when he he and Eve, his wife, sinned against God. And Jesus came as the last Adam to restore, to give back to the people of God what Adam had lost, that same type of authority. Um, And we know that when Jesus came, he didn't just come to give it to us. He came and he demonstrated it. Um, he spoke with such authority that it was asked about Jesus, you know, where does he get this type of authority? What kind of man is this that even the wind and the the waves obey him? Uh, But Jesus was showing us what it looked like when Adam was in the garden, that we are to rule our world with our words. And um, the word glory, everybody say glory. You know, a lot of people think glory is, you know, um, just we get excited and well, glory, you know, we, that's all we know about glory. But the word glory means weight and it means authority. It's what Adam was crowned with. The Bible tells us he was crowned with glory. So there was some weight on Adam. There, there was, um, what, what it means is when we operate in glory, it means that heaven is now backing us. It means that heaven is backing our words Um, And and so it's important to understand that because the premise of this series, to establish a kingdom, to establish this monarchy, then we have to understand that we need to operate with a little weight on us. Uh, And I don't mean the kind of weight that suppresses you. I mean the kind of weight where you have authority. That you can walk into a hospital room where a doctor's report has been given of, of death, maybe a death sentence, but you can walk in under the power of God and speak. Not just pray about it, but speak to it and see something change. Anybody want to be a part of that kind of kingdom? That, that's the kind of weight that the church has to get back in our possession And so we're called to establish this new order and we know that God did not come into our lives just to save us, but he came into our lives so that we could establish his kingdom in the earth. And today I want to call the message, a real simple phrase here, I want to call this raised to glory. Raised to glory. Hebrews chapter 2 verse number 10 says, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So God did not come just to save us, he came to raise us to glory. The captain of our salvation, Jesus, is made perfect, not only that he lived a a perfect life and that he suffered, but he is made perfect by, by his ability to raise not only himself to glory, but to raise you to glory. And, and I would say this about glory, glory is the stuff, glory is when the stuff that makes God God comes on you. It, it's when, what, what what makes God God, when that comes on you, we call that glory. And so Jesus prayed um, a, a prayer where he prayed that he would be glorified. and. Again, to be glorified means heaven is back in you. Uh, It means heaven is back in your words. It means that I don't have to do a thing. I can say a thing. Job said we can decree a thing and it will be established. Faith is the ability to call those things that are not as though they are. Uh, The scripture says have faith in God. But many times when we we read that, have faith in God. The translation, the proper translation is have the faith of God. In other words, do what God did. Do what Jesus did. Did. Don't just pray about the mountains in your life. Learn to speak to the mountains in your life. You would be surprised what would happen in your life if you would stop just praying about stuff and start taking authority over stuff and speaking to it in the name of Jesus. Anybody ready to speak with authority? I mean, we, we need this right now more than ever in, in where our nation is and where we are. We need to be speaking with authority. John chapter 12 is where Jesus talked about being glorified. And I want to read this to you. I'm going to be tying some things together. And if you, if you check out on me at any point, you may miss how all these are connected. So can y'all hang in there? All right. Online family, I hope you're hanging in there. John 12, 23 through 26. Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, it's an interesting passage of Scripture because Jesus is saying, it, it's my hour is here for me to be glorified. That's what he's saying. My hour to be glorified is here. And the reason it's an interesting phrase is that he's already operating in glory. I mean, as soon as he started his ministry at age 30, we know Jesus had three and a half years of, of um, public ministry. As soon as he started, he began by speaking to stuff And the stuff he would speak to would obey, whether it be a fig tree that he would speak to and that fig tree would die, or he would send a word to a Roman centurion's house. He didn't even go to the house. He just sent a word to the house. And at the same time he spoke it, the servant was healed. He spoke to tombs and people like Lazarus would pop out. That everywhere he went, he would speak to things and the elements would respond to what Jesus was saying. And it didn't even matter if it was sickness or demons or, or even the wind and the waves responded to what Jesus spoke. And so glory revealed is when someone can speak to something in the earth and the elements respond to their voice and that's what Jesus was demonstrating and the reason this is interesting is he's operating on that level of glory but here in John chapter 12 he's saying I'm about to be glorified so you're operating in glory but you're saying you're about to be glorified and my point is he, he has this this weight on him this authority on him but he's talking about another level of glory because he's doing exactly what Adam did in the book of Genesis. Glory has levels. The Apostle Paul talked about the manifold glory of God, which means that the glory of God has many layers or many levels. And so Jesus is operating in glory, but saying, I'm about to be glorified. And and I want you to walk with me for a minute because when Jesus came to the earth, he vacated his seat, and and in heaven, and he emptied himself out. That's what Jesus did. He vacated all that he had in heaven, that level of glory, to come into the earth to empty himself out, but now he's saying, it's time for me to be glorified. He's talking about going back to that former glory before he became a man. Now, I, I, I love this because he says, it's time for me to be glorified, and the next words out of his mouth he starts talking about dying, all right? So he's saying, I'm about to be glorified, and then he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it reproduces. I'm about to be glorified, but something's gotta die. If I were to prophesy to you today, and I called you out and called you by name and said, get up here, I got a word for you, And I said, God is about to take you into new levels of glory. He's about to raise your influence and there's gonna be a new weight on your life. We would be hucking and bucking, come on somebody. We would be running around this building talking about God's taking me to new levels, all this. We would be so pumped up. But when Jesus talks about it, he says, here's how that works. When God is about to take you up, you have to drop. When God is about to take you up, you have to drop. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. And and then he takes it a step further. He says, if you like your life or love your life, then you're never going to get to the next level. He says that if you love your life, you're going to lose it. But if you hate your life, then you, now you're prepared for the weight or the glory that I want to that I wanna place on your life. He says in John 12, 25, he who loves his life will lose it and he who hates his life in, in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so Jesus is changing his posture. He's not just speaking to sickness and disease and the wind and the waves and healing people and multiplying you know, fish and bread, he's not doing it. He's changing his posture because he's been doing all of this stuff, operating in glory on the earth and, and now, he says, my goal is to be glorified, to go to a new level of glory, to be seated in heaven, but I don't just want to go to my place and my next level of glory. Hebrews 2, he says, the captain of our salvation is made perfect, not just by him returning to glory, but by raising sons and daughters to glory. He said, I'm going to my next level, but as I go to my next level, you got to be ready to go to your next level, but if you love your life too much where you are, you're not qualified for your next level. Come on somebody, I'm preaching right now. Part of my job is to make you hate where you are. You say, well pastor I want to love where I'm at. Well, if there's another level God has for you, until you're uncomfortable with where you are, you're not qualified to move toward the next thing. And I think what's happened in the American church is we've gotten comfortable. That's why you can't allow preachers to offend you. People run from preachers that offend them. All because we would rather be comfortable than go to the next level. Part of my job is to offend, how many of the word of God is offensive? There are parts when I read it that cuts me right to the heart and I realize I got some changes to make. I've been doing ministry for 20 years and guess what? He's still working on me. Like there are times I read it and like, my goodness, I'm, I'm way off. I got some growing to do. But I have to hate point B If I'm going to get to point C, I got to get uncomfortable with where I am. If I'm going to be promoted to the next level. And, And so, um, with that being said, the greater glory is not just Jesus returning to his, his place before he came to the earth. The greater glory is raising you as well. Not only does he want to raise you, but Jesus came and demonstrated what that looks like. He taught us how to pray. He taught us how to speak to things, not just praying about mountains, but speaking to mountains, not not just living with what is, but but understanding there is a weight placed on your life as a son or daughter of God, and you have the right to speak to some things and see those things move. But I wanna say one more time, I can't go up until I'm willing to drop. Then you turn over to the next chapter, John chapter 13. This is where we gotta tie some things. This is why I don't want you to check out. John 13 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments. He took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he, has, with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet, question mark. Like, you know, you're the son of God. You're, why are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. Now, this is, you may wanna underline that in your Bible, highlight it in your digital phone. He says, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you will after this. In other words, you're not gonna get it today. You're gonna get this later, all right? Everybody say later, all right? I'm gonna show you when Peter got it, okay? Because it came later. It says, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, I love this. Not only, not not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter's like, all right, if I got to have a part with you, you got wash, wash my give me a bath, Jesus. You gotta love Peter. I mean he's so outspoken. He's just like, just wash all of me. And 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 Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but it's completely clean, but it, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Jesus is telling them what I'm, what I'm doing. You guys don't understand it, but you're gonna understand it later. You're gonna understand this later. We're, we're, we're going to come back to that and, and tie it together, but I want to I show you a couple of things before we tie it together. It's, it's why we are talking about the kingdom of God in this series, the monarchy, that, that title. And, and the reason for that is that God is, is trying to build a house that reflects him. Not a house that reflects me, not a house that reflects you, but a house that reflects him. He's building a house, a local church, and and that's what the local church is supposed to do is manifest his kingdom in the earth, all right? That's what a local church's job is. Um, And Ephesians 4 tells us that we have been given gifts, that Jesus left the church gifts. And there's five of them that he mentions, and then there's other gifts that we could talk about at a later date, but he says, "I've, I've given you the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, And the teacher, watch this, this is Ephesians 4, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, in other words, I've got some tools that you're gonna need if you're gonna build a house that I'm designing. But I've given you the tools to do it with. And the way I would explain this to you, I think the church, we're really good at the tool of the pastor, but we're not really good at the other tools. Like we identify pastors, but we don't usually talk about apostles apostles prophets, evangelists anymore. You know, we, we don't even like talk about the, some of the tools that God says you need in order to build the house that I'm designing. And, and so the, the best way analogy for me to give you is that if you gave me a couple acres of land and you said, Pastor Chad, I want you to build me a house. Now, first off, you don't wanna ask me to do that, okay? It's not gonna get done. But if you brought all the material you brought all the wood, you brought the shingles, you brought the, the block, you, you brought every, everything I would need as far as the materials go, and you, you sat all of that on the two acres of land, and then right when you left, you said, oh, I forgot, here's your tool, and you handed me a hammer. Now, how many know that house is not getting built with just a hammer? It takes a lot of tools to build a house, not just one. I think... The reason the church has struggled across the board in, in many instances is because we're trying to build the church with one tool. And, and God says, I've given you five gifts, and then there's a list of like 30 in another place that that... People have gifts, they have tools, they have, they have things God has given them, and unless we are all in our place, then we're not able to build the house that God wants to build. Come on, somebody, if you, if you hear me today. And, and so we, we, we understand when he's building something according to his design, and I would, I would take it a step further. In most nations, the reason churches struggle is because the church government looks like the national government. Like if you were to visit Latin America, it, it's you know led by dictators, and so the church, guess what? Dictators. Um, let's not talk about them. Let's talk about our nation. Our nation. We live in a democracy, and we thank God for democracy in the nation. But the problem is, is that we run the church the same way the nation is run. And that's a problem. Some of y'all, I don't. Why is that a problem? You you know why it's a problem? The kingdom of God is not about votes and preferences and opinions. I'm gonna lose half the crowd right there. You don't get a vote in the kingdom. Your opinion don't matter in the kingdom. God's not concerned about your opinion. He's only concerned about one will, and that's his will. That's why he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As long as we're sitting around sharing our ideas, our opinions, and what we think, and we're voting on this and that, then we're not building anything that reflects him. Now, why is that important? I'm glad you asked. God has never lived in a place that he didn't design. He's never lived in a place he didn't design. In America, we talk about great visitations of God. If you ever follow these revivalists, they talk about visitations. They talk about, you know, whether it be Azusa Street or, you know, uh, what happened at Barney Creek in North Carolina, the the Brownsville revival, the the, the tent. We talk about these times when God visited in a powerful way. The problem is that. God never wanted to visit his people. God wants to dwell with his people. Ephesians 2, this is New Testament, 19 through 22. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling, not a visitation, for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I love this because God is is building a house in which he can live by his Spirit. Anywhere God lives... He designed. He's the architect. The first place we see that happen is in the Old Testament with the tabernacle. When God delivered his people out of bondage, one of the first things he said for them to do was to construct a tabernacle. And it wasn't just that they got to do what they wanted. God told them the exact dimensions, the exact material. If it was ram skins, it it wasn't just any ram skins, they had to be dyed red. Like it was so specific And he gave them the materials, the dimensions. He gave them the pattern. Watch this. God gave the pattern. They obeyed the pattern. And then God showed up in glory. He gave the pattern. They obeyed the pattern. It's only a three-step process. Pattern, obedience, glory. Everybody say that with me. One, two, three. Pattern, obedience, glory. He said, I want you to build it to my design, you don't get to decide, I'm the architect, I wanna get as close to you as possible without my glory killing you and here's how you need to do it and the Bible says that they did exactly what he said and guess what, his, his glory showed up in a powerful way, not only with the, the tabernacle, but we could talk specifically about the Ark of the Covenant. This is how big I want it, this is the kind of wood, this is how much gold, this is how much silver. And, and if, you'll, if you'll take my pattern and you move in obedience, the result will be I'll come and sit on the mercy seat of that Ark of the Covenant with all my glory. There's pattern, there's obedience, and then there's glory. Glory. The the third temple that we we see in the Old Testament was the one David wanted to build. David wanted very, very badly to build a temple for God. But God told David, there's been too much bloodshed. I'm not allowing you to build it. David, here's what you can do. You can raise the money. I'm going to let your son build it. And so David raised the money, and his son Solomon built the temple. And the Bible says they did it exactly the way God said. The pattern they, they, they got the pattern, they moved in obedience, and God's glory showed up in the temple. And, and it says it, there that his glory was so strong in that temple because God built it, it was his design, they obeyed it, that the priests could not even stand up to minister because when God's glory shows up, there is a weightiness to it and no, no flesh can stand in the, in the glory of God. Come on, somebody, if you believe what I'm talking about right now. There is a design, there is a pattern and we simply obey the pattern and then we experience the glory. The New Testament though, it switches gears because in the New Testament, it's not bricks and mortar. It's not wood and gold and silver. The New Testament is living stones. That we are living stones. Living stones that house the presence of God. That house the glory of God. So it's not the arrangement of bricks and mortar, it's actually the arrangement of people. If God is still visiting, it means it's your house still, not his. Because when it's his house, he doesn't visit, he takes up residence. See, I wanna move past visitation. I wanna move past, well, it was great on Easter. We had a great service at Christmas. All oh, that revival was amazing. I, I don't want just a visitation. I want a church that is so in tune with God's design that every time we meet, something has to move. Something has to change. Somebody's gonna get saved. Somebody's gonna get healed. Not a visitation. There's two temples in the New Testament. The first, 1 Corinthians chapter six, I won't take time to read it, but the first is talking about you as an individual. Did you know you are the temple? Of the Holy Spirit, you are to house the presence of God, and so God has made me into a house for Him, He has made you into a house for Him. But there's a second temple He talks about in First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. It says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. So we have been made a house individually, but we've also been made a house. Corporately, all right? Individually, we house the presence of God, but we also house the presence of God corporately. We could say it like this. God lives in me and God lives in us. God lives in me and God lives in us. We are living stones. So it's not about the arrangement of bricks and mortar. It's about the arrangement of people that when we get the living stones arranged, God said, I will come there. I will come there if we can get the house built according to God's design, he wouldn't just come and visit us, but he would come and take up habitation. See, imagine a church that is so built to God's design that he not only visits from time to time, but he actually sets up habitation. Imagine a church where it's impossible for the sick to remain sick. Imagine a church where it's impossible for people that come in depressed to leave depressed. Imagine a church where it's impossible to keep fighting with your spouse. Imagine a church where it's impossible to stay hooked on drugs. Imagine a church where everyone's needs are met because it's impossible for all this junk to stand in the presence of God. See, the kingdom of God does not run off opinions, votes, and preferences. It runs off authority. When you have kingdom authority in place, then the kingdom can begin to manifest in the local church. My job, part of my job is to help you see what God has put in you. That's why next steps is so important. It's happening right now. Like, if you haven't been through that, you need to go through that. Because... We're building something to his design, which means you need to be placed specifically based on what God has put in you. And as we, as we arrange the people, then God's glory shows up in a more powerful way. Now, I'm gonna tie this together, okay? Everybody say, don't check out. Don't check out. All right, don't check out because I, I'm getting ready to tie something that we were talking about earlier. Jesus is setting the posture of, of what it looks like to be glorified, right? I'm going to my next level of glory, but I'm also gonna raise many sons and daughters to glory. Um, and then he starts talking about dying. I'm about to be glorified, but I wanna show you what that looks like. Jesus is showing them, when you're about to go to another level of glory, you don't go up like this. What does he do in John 13? He's showing you, That if you want to be glorified, if you want to go up, you go up. Not like this. You go up like this. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. Now, you got to picture this. The Son of God, if anybody had a right to to walk around with their chest sticking out and their head up talking about, I'm going to be glorified. You know, I need an entourage serving me. If anybody had to write, it would be Jesus. But he's saying, I'm about to be glorified. And then some of the next phrases out of his mouth and and the next posture we see him in is that he girded himself with a towel and he grabbed their dirty feet. I'm about to be glorified. But this is what it looks like. If you want to go up, you got to be willing to drop. In this nation, it is filled with self-promotion. We want everybody to take notice of who we are and what we've accomplished and what's on our resume. But Jesus said, if you really wanna go to the next level, you gotta be willing to drop. You gotta be willing to go down low. Let let me show you what that looks like. And, and, And I love this because in the sports world, we got any sports fans? We got one. Praise the Lord. That's all you need. In, in the sports world, um, you hear these debates all the time about who the goat is. Some of you are like, the goat? Who wants to be the goat? Y'all know what the goat means? Y'all, you know what goat means? Tell me. Greatest of, Greatest of all time. See, some of y'all are, you can tell your kids, you're relevant, all right? Greatest of all time. Um, and, and recently, Michael Jordan, the documentary, The Last Dance, came out. And a lot of people, you know, obviously took it in and watched it, and it kind of, man, it took me back to the 80s and 90s and, you know, all of that, just, just, just some great memories growing up watching him play basketball, but it brought back up the debates on who the goat is. And so you, you got debates, and we're not going to debate, all right, okay? It doesn't matter who the goat is, but you had the debates, LeBron, Michael. You had the debates, you know, years ago, is it Kobe or Michael. You know, in the 80s, is it magic or is it Larry? You know, you have all, who's the greatest of all? You have all these debates that are, that are going on. And, and it, it goes, it predates sports because they had those debates in Jesus's day. Before Jesus washed their feet, two of the disciples were arguing over who the goat was. And guess what? Jesus was not on in the, even in the conversation. They were arguing with one another on who would sit on his right and who would sit on Jesus' left. They were self-promoting. One of the gospel writers tells us that one of their moms got involved. Y'all know how mamas are. My son's the best. There's no debate here. My son's the greatest. They're all talking about who the goat is, who the greatest is, and what it looks like to operate in glory and Jesus is demonstrating us that glory is not on the right hand and glory is not on the left hand, but glory is actually on the floor. It's not here, it's not here, it's not here. This is what glory looks like. Scripture tells us very clearly that if we humble ourselves that God will exalt us in due season. On the other end, it says that if we're prideful, self-promoting, it's kind of scary. It says God resists us. I wonder what areas of pride in our life is causing God to resist us. Keeping God from doing what he wants to do in our lives. Following Jesus and being raised to glory is not about self-promotion, but it's about us dying to ourselves. If you wanna be the GOAT, if you wanna be great, Matthew 23, 11 and 12, it says, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So if I wanna go up, I gotta be willing to drop. You gotta start loving the life of others more than you love your own. It's why Jesus said that if you love your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you hate where you are, you're actually gonna find life. The connection that Jesus is giving us because in the next chapter, he's bending down to wash their feet. He's showing us what that looks like. I don't love my life so much that I can't serve you. I'm the son of God and yet I'm the one girding myself with a towel and I'm washing your dirty feet. I'm trying to show you the posture that takes you to the next level. He wasn't worried about self-promotion. He wasn't worried about a title, but Jesus came looking for a towel. I just wonder if we got any kingdom people that's not looking to be noticed, but looking to pick up a towel. Some of you are like, I ain't coming back next week. This is too heavy. Looking for a towel. In those days, in the Bible days, they didn't have cars, bikes, mopeds. Some people owned like a donkey, but most of them did not. They traveled by foot everywhere that they went. And the proper custom was, is that when you entered someone's house, custom was you took your sandals off. All you had was Sandals and they would wash your feet. The host would wash your feet. Everyone's feet was dirty. Now, what I'm about to say, I don't want you to hear this on a natural level. I want you to hear it on a spiritual level. They had, everyone's feet was dirty. And the point being, if we could look at it spiritually, they had collected dust from the journey they had been on. When you grab someone's feet and you wash them, you were saying that I don't want everything that you've collected in your life on your journey here to ruin what's about to happen. Now, if you're hearing me natural right now, you just missed it, but in life's journey, all the things we go through, the ups, the downs, the good days, the bad days, how many of we collect some dust and some dirt? And so when he was washing their feet, he was saying, I don't want the particles that, that's collected from your past and your journey to pollute what's about to happen in this moment. And I, I just want to say right now, I need to make this announcement. This is the kind of church, Bethesda, we are the kind of church where people can come on in here, even if they're dirty, even if they picked up particles along the way, even if they've been divorced, even if they sinned last night, come on in dirty. We've all been there. But in this moment, we're going to clean you. We're going we're to take the moment to, to not allow what you've picked up in your journey to ruin what's happening. You got to come out of shame and condemnation and all that junk that you pick up in life's journey. You can Google this. Don't do it right now. Wait till your own time. But the nerve endings in your feet lead to every part of your body. Reflexologists, I learned this this week. Didn't even know anything about reflexologists. They can rub your feet and tell if something is wrong with your kidneys. They can rub your feet. I mean, how in the world? Rub your feet and find out if something's wrong with your spleen. They could tell you if something is wrong with you by rubbing your feet. The the nerve endings in your feet lead to every part of your body. And so Jesus tells them, watch this. He says, what I'm doing right now, you don't understand. But you're going to get it later. What I'm doing in this moment by washing your feet, you you don't get it. But there's coming a day... Light bulb's gonna gonna come on and you're gonna understand what I just did. And I love what happens. Jesus is saying, if I wash your feet, Peter's like, give me a bath, Lord. Come on, y'all smile under that mask. Like, if I wash your feet, Peter, I don't have to give you a bath, buddy. If I wash your feet, you're clean everywhere. That's what he said, right? You're clean everywhere. When I touch your feet, Peter, when I wash your feet, I'm touching you down here. It's a picture of servitude. He's saying that I'm not gonna touch your head, not, not touching your hand, not giving you the whole bath thing. I'm gonna wash your feet, but when I touch you here, something's happening here. I'm gonna wash your feet but it's gonna to touch you everywhere. Can I just suggest to you today that one act of servitude can change someone's life forever? One act of servitude. One act of service can change a person's heart. They can come in to a church like this with an array of problems, but one act of servitude can become a life-changing moment for them. That's why you serving and being a part of the local church is so important. You say, well, I'm just parking cars, pastor. No, when you're parking cars, you're actually in this position. Spiritually, you're in this position. Well, I'm just, you know, watching a few babies in the nursery and changing diapers. It ain't, it ain't that big, I'm just opening the door. I'm, I'm just, you know what I'm, I'm just operating security today. No big deal. But did you know that every time we serve people with the right heart, it may look like we're just washing their feet through that act of service. But God says that when we serve them, something happens to their heart. He said, "I'm going to wash your feet, but you're going to become clean everywhere." He said, "You don't get it now, but one day you're going to get it." When we come over to Acts chapter 3, I'm winding down, worship team, you guys can come up. Acts chapter 3, Jesus has been glorified. He died, he rose again, he went to heaven. And now Peter and John are walking by a gate called Beautiful. Y'all remember this story? They're walking by a gate called Beautiful, and there is a lame man laying there begging. And Peter and John come up to the lame man and... They don't have, Jesus had always been with them. You know, Jesus is always the one that had performed the miracle, but now they're on their own. This lame man's begging and Peter says to him, he says, I don't have silver and gold. I know that's what you're out here begging for, but I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but I'm gonna give you what I do have. Man, I'm gonna give you what I do have. And he doesn't pray some elaborate prayer He doesn't pour five gallon of oil on the guy. He says, I'm going to give you what I do have in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And the Bible says that the power of God came into that man's legs and into his ankles and he jumped up on his feet immediately, completely healed. It was the first time that anybody other than Adam in Genesis and Jesus in his ministry that came and really spoke with that kind of authority. And it was the first time Peter got to rule his world with his words. But what I want you to notice is that he ruled his world with his words. He spoke in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I want you to notice when Peter did that, he wasn't just speaking for his own breakthrough. This lame man walking, how many know that didn't do anything for Peter? That was just Peter serving a guy who needed some help. Maybe it is not that our words don't work, but maybe we have lost the posture of service. The first time we see it in the New Testament, other than Jesus, someone speaking with authority, it's not that he's speaking in authority over his own life. Maybe, The reason our words sometimes are not working is because we're more concerned with what my words will do for me than what my words will do for someone else. There's a pattern in popular culture that beats against the kingdom of God and the principles we live by every day in this nation. And it's trying, It's the attempt to be served and to be self-promoted, and we want everybody to wait on us hand and foot. But if you want to go to the next level, church, you gotta be willing to drop. I think we get confused about what it looks like to be a servant, because there's actually seven different words in the New Testament that speaks of servant. I wanna give you three of them real quick. You can stand with me, I'm gonna do these real, real quick. The first word, Greek word is doulos it means bond servant a bond servant was an individual who was given money transportation shelter and food up front and then they would stay and work and they would pay it back through their labor right they would just and, and so they would set an agreement I'm gonna give you the food the housing you know, transfer everything you need and then they would set an amount of time that you would work that off okay But a bondservant was a person who had already, through their labor, paid the family back. But because the family treated them so good, they decided to remain a bondservant. I'm never going anywhere. I'm just going to continue to labor and serve you. It's a picture of a lifelong commitment. And let me just say, no matter how much influence you are given, how many titles you are given, never stop being a servant. We we never stop. I don't care if God, you know, he promotes you to president of the United States of America. Continue to serve. Come on, somebody. Continue to serve. Continue to serve. The second Greek word is diakonos. I think something like that. Deacon. It's the word that we get waiter. Waiter. Someone that waits on you at a restaurant if you go to a restaurant this afternoon and your waiter comes by how many of the waiter does not come by to talk about themselves they come by to serve you that's what a waiter does they come to serve you to take care of you and the principle here so the first one lifelong commitment second one this one means focus on the needs of others so i'm making a lifelong commitment to being a servant i'm going to focus on the needs of others and then the third greek word i'm not going to try to pronounce it but it means under rower It's a faceless part of a team that rowed a boat. A servant who put their service over status. And it reveals that service is not just about actions, but it's about the attitude. How many of you can serve and have a bad attitude? That means it don't count. If you're out there cussing while you park the cars, you might as well come on in here and sit down, don't park cars. Oh my, did I say that? I said that. The principle here is to magnify Jesus, not myself. If you put the three definitions together, here's what you get. A servant is someone who makes a lifelong commitment to serve people's needs in such a way that magnifies Jesus. Anybody wanna be a servant and usher in the kingdom of God? Come on, let's give him the best praise we have all day. Give him a praise today. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I went a little lengthy today, I apologize for that. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I just wanna ask those that are watching online and those that are in-house today. Maybe you're here or watching and you say, I, I don't know Jesus as my savior and I know I need to do that. I know the Holy Spirit is dealing with me. I, I have some things in my life. I need his forgiveness and his grace. If you're watching online, let us know that that's you. We got some people that are ready to pray with you. I'm, I'm actually getting ready to pray a prayer and lead you. But But if you're here in-house today and that's you, you say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I need him to come into my heart to save me. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are real quick? Just say, that's me, Pastor. I need Jesus to save me. I need him to forgive me. Anyone in the house today that would say, I need Jesus to save me. Here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna pray this prayer. I want everybody to pray it. You never know who's gonna watch this and they're gonna invite Jesus into their hearts. So Every voice say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a savior. I can't save myself, so I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me and to save me. Thank you for being the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, one more time, give God praise today. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can go to bethesdachurch.tv give. We'll catch you on the next episode. Have a great day.